And Lord, I want to pray now for us here as we open up your word. My sense is, Lord, that there are people, well, it's the topic of the passage, but people who are, who are bound up in discouragement and, and that you, you want to meet them today. So, Lord, would you do that? Your word, you say, your word is, is what brings faith. Your word stirs faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And so would you, as we hear your word this morning, would you supernaturally, by the work of your spirit, strengthen faith, give faith, impart faith, do that in a mighty work, we pray, in a mighty way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Good, let's keep praying for Raj and Scout and and this man. And also, you've maybe heard about about in Iran, um, a pastor, a Christian pastor in Iran who's, uh, in, in, who's in jail there and the death sentence has been levied. Let's keep praying for him as well. But I wanted to mention this one with Raj and Scout because that's not as well known and we want to be praying for, for that situation too. Well, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 60. And we like to have each of you have a copy of the Bible so that you can study along with us. So if you need a Bible, don't be bashful. Raise your hand. We want to bring one to you. Page 619 in the Bibles that we're passing out. Page 619, Isaiah chapter 60. Now while you're turning there, let me remind you, yeah, real high, there you go. Let me remind you of the story of Joseph. Okay, remember Joseph, Old Testament, his brothers were jealous of him, and so they sold him into slavery in Egypt. And I want you just to feel a little bit how discouraged and hopeless Joseph could have felt. There he is. In this dark dungeon, filthy dungeon, rat-infested dungeon, probably, there he is, foreign land, no appeal, no, no lawyers visiting him, there he is, just in dungeon, okay, day after day, month after month, year after years, feel the level of discouragement or hopelessness that he would have experienced. But now imagine, just imagine, you were Joseph, imagine what a difference it would have made if while he was in that dungeon... He knew what was coming in his future. He knew, imagine that he knew that he was not only going to be delivered from the dungeon, but he was going to become the number two man over all of the empire of Egypt. With that level of influence and that level of authority and that level of clout and bringing benefit to God's people. Imagine that while he was there in this dark, rat-infested, filthy dungeon, day after day, month after month, year after year, he knew What was coming? He had a picture. He knew certainly I'm going to be freed and an amazing thing is going to take place. That would have transformed him in his hopelessness, wouldn't it have? He would have been freed from discouragement. Knowing what was coming would have freed him from discouragement. So some of you are in like a dungeon of discouragement and hopelessness. Maybe job, employment issues or unemployment issues. Uh, Financial issues. Stresses, strains, difficulties, these are hard times financially. Maybe it's health, ongoing health, chronic health problems. Maybe it's, it's family, wayward child, relational difficulties. Maybe it's spiritual failures and setbacks. Okay, all kinds of possibilities. But some of you, I, I believe that just because that's what this passage is about and God is sovereign in the order in which we come into these chapters, some of you are in like a dungeon of of discouragement and hopelessness. But if you're trusting Jesus Christ, 
If you have received him into your life as your savior and as your Lord and as your heart satisfying treasure, then listen, your future is glorious, breathtaking in its glory. And you can see a clear picture of what your future is right here in the Bible. It's right here. And if you will do that, if you will look at what God's word says about your future and ask God, help me to see this, help me to feel this, come upon me and strengthen me, I believe, help my unbelief, he will set you free from discouragement and hopelessness. And you'll, be, you'll, you'll overcome discouragement. That's the point of Isaiah chapter 60. That's the topic that Isaiah is addressing here. So let's dig into it. Now to unpack this passage, I want us to start with this first question. That is, what is God calling Israel to do in this chapter? What's he calling them to do? Remember in Isaiah chapter 40 through 66, those chapters were written by Isaiah to be read decades later during the time when Israel was in exile in Babylon. Okay, Written to have her be encouraged later. God knew she would be tempted to be hopeless and discouraged at that time. And so these chapters were written to encourage her, and that's especially the point of Isaiah chapter 60. And look at the first two words of Isaiah chapter 60. Here's what God is calling Israel to do. Arise. Shine. That's it. Okay? Arise and shine. So during this time when Israel is in slavery, during the exile, in the darkness of that in Babylon... God's calling Israel to arise, which means rise up from your discouragement, rise up from your hopelessness. And he's calling Israel to shine, shine with joy in your God. So arise from your discouragement and shine with joy in God. Okay, now, have you ever been discouraged, hopeless, and had somebody say to you, don't worry, be happy? (laughs) Ever... How helpful was that? I've had that happen, not from anybody here, but not so helpful. We, we can't just turn, you know, encouragement on and off like a light switch, right? Or there's other approaches we try to take. We try to, well, if I'm just not going to think about the problem, and then I'll feel better. How helpful is that? Or I'm just going to focus on the, on the bright side of my circumstances, which is another way of not thinking about the not-so-bright side of your circumstances, how helpful is that? Or just like, you know, pasting a smile on your face and, you know, fake it until you feel it or something like that. There's all these different approaches. Those don't work. So how is Israel supposed to arise and shine during this time when she is in bondage and slavery in Babylon? That's the second question I want to think about. How can Israel arise and shine when she's discouraged? And the answer is found in the rest of this chapter, but it's all summed up in one word. It's a third word in verse 1. Arise, shine, for. It's all summed up in that word. What does the word for mean? It means because. Because what Isaiah is going to say in the rest of this chapter is going to be transforming because it's promises that God has given to Israel during this time when she's been in exile. And if Israel will focus on those promises, then she'll be transformed. So the reason that she can rise 
from our discouragement and shine with joy in God is because of the promises that God's given to us. So here's what I want to do. I want to unfold these promises and then explain how they were relevant for Israel and then also help you see how they apply to us as New Testament believers today. So what does God promise to do for his people? Four main promises. First one is this. God will invade the world's darkness with the light of his glory. Look at verses, start with verse one. Arise, shine, for, because, here's all these reasons, now these promises, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Okay, that sounds like the light and the glory have already come in Israel's past. But there's times when Old Testament prophets, in order to help the readers understand how certain a future event is, describe it in the past tense, saying that it is going to happen in the future as certainly as if it's already happened. Now, the way we know that that's what Isaiah is doing is because in verse 2, he describes the exact same event as coming in the future. Verse 2, he says, For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will, future, arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. So here's what's going on. Israel's in exile, enslaved in the darkness of Babylon, surrounded by the dark world, occult worship, just horrible dark practices, idolatry. And here's what God says. Israel, I promise you, I am going to invade this world with the light of my glory. I will invade this world with the light of my glory. So when does God do that? Okay, back Israel, this is like written 700 BC. When's God going to do that? Isaiah's told us all through this book, but especially in chapter 9, let's not turn there right now, but jot it down, Isaiah chapter 9, this exact same language is used for the coming of Jesus, the birth of Jesus Christ. See, ever since Adam and Eve turned against God, rebelled against God, ever since then, the world was plunged because of our guilt under, the, under God's curse, darkness. The world was dark all through the Old Testament period. Now, there were smatterings of light. God saved people here and there. There were smatterings of light, but it was, it was dark. Picture a, a football stadium full of people at night, pitch dark, no lights on, except for a couple of people who've got their cell phones up or their cigarette lighters, okay? So just kind of a smattering of light. That's what the Old Testament looked like, okay? But when Jesus was born, when God came to this earth in the person of Jesus, it was like floodlights. You know, that light is there. That's what happened with the coming of Jesus. So just think about what it would have been like for Jesus if you could have seen. He, he meets a, a blind man, blind from birth, and he puts his hands on him and he prays and speaks and this man's blindness is healed. He can see. So here's the glory of God shining in a dark world. Or I thought about, remember the man in uh, Mark chapter 5, the Gerasene de- demoniac. Here's this man, just tragic, pit- pitiful position, so afflicted by demons. He's living in the tombs, naked, cutting himself, screaming. And Jesus walks up to him and he commands the demons to leave him. And Jesus, with God authority, because he is God, the demons flee. It's the light 
of God's glory invading the world in the person of Jesus. Think about, uh, there was thousands of people out in the wilderness listening to Jesus teach, hungry, no food, no 7-Eleven, nothing, and Jesus takes five loaves and two fish, you've heard the story, multiplies it to feed all of them with a ton left over. The light of God's glory, his abundant provision glory, invading the darkness of this world. And one of the most poignant pictures is uh, as Jesus sets his face to go to Jerusalem knowing that the cross awaits him. The suffering of the cross awaits him. And he did it because he loves us. And so that picture of God's love in the God-man, Jesus, setting his face, I am going to Jerusalem to redeem my people. The glory of God invading this world. God coming to the earth in the person of Jesus, shining with his glory. And then we've all been made aware of death this week, haven't we? And how to just take, take a life. Jesus rising from the dead, though, conquering our greatest enemy, death, conquering sin, conquering death, the light of God's glory invading this world and shining. That's what God promises to Israel here. I'm going to invade the world's darkness with the light of my glory. So again, picture Israel living in dark Babylon, slavery, exile, okay? Discouraged by by the darkness that's all around them. Here's what Isaiah says, Israel, rise up from your discouragement, your hopelessness, shine with the light of joy in God because God promises he will invade this world with the light of his glory. The Messiah is coming. Jesus is coming. And so while they are there in, in bondage and in darkness, they could have looked at it and known, that's coming. Darkness is not the end. That's where things are going. Now, what does this mean for us? For Israel, the coming of the Messiah was future. For us, the coming of the Messiah is past and second coming future. But I want you to focus on the past. Here's my challenge to you who are discouraged. Take 10 minutes... Every day this week, if you don't get them all, that's not, the, that's not the whole point, but just take a chunk of time every day this week and read the Gospels about who Jesus was. And let it just resonate in your mind and heart that God has come to this earth in the person of Jesus. And if you're struggling with unemployment or health issues or spiritual setbacks or whatever it might be, Ask God, show me the wonder of you coming into this world in the person of Jesus Christ, shining your glory upon us through Jesus Christ. And as you do that, watch what happens in your heart and the encouragement and the strength and the peace that will come. That's the first promise. Here's the second one. God will fulfill his promise to have Israel bring salvation to the whole world. Now here's the setting. Let me just kind of set this up. Here's what's going on. Thousands of years before, God had promised Abraham that through your people, through your seed, I'm going to save people from every ethnic group in the whole world. Okay, that's, that's going to happen. Okay, but that was thousands of years before. Now Israel is sitting slaved in Babylon. Jerusalem's been destroyed. The temple's been leveled. Thousands of fellow Israelites have been killed. And here's this nation of Israel through whom God is supposed to impact the whole world in slavery, in in bondage. So there's no way that promise is going to be fulfilled, right? 
Look at verse 3. Actually, start with verse 2 to get the flow of thought. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, his glory will be seen upon you, Israel, and nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. So God will fulfill his promise to you, Israel. Nations and kings will come to you seeing God's glory in you and being saved. Now, when did that happen? It started on the day of Pentecost. Remember day of Pentecost. Jesus had died, had risen, had ascended into heaven, and then had poured out his spirit. There's 120 Jewish believers in the upper room. You know the story. 120 Jewish Israelite believers. The, the early church started off Jewish. Okay, Gentiles, we had Gentiles, God added in, but it started off Jewish. They're there in this upper room and they're praying for the promise that Jesus had told them to wait in Jerusalem for. And then Jesus pours out upon them the third person of the Trinity, the very presence of God by the person of the Holy Spirit coming upon them and indwelling them. And they were just set on fire. And they went out into the streets of Jerusalem speaking of the mighty works of God. And it just so happens that on the day of Pentecost, there were people from all different nations around that they were there and they were hearing, you know, the miracle, hearing them speaking in their own languages that they never learned. And that day, people from all the nations were drawn. And that's, that's where it started. And it's still continuing today. But that's where it started. So here's what God is saying to exiled Israel. Exiled Israel, no matter how bad things look, I fulfill my promises. It looks like it'd be impossible for the, the world, all the nations of the world to be impacted with the gospel now. But I fulfill my promises. I will raise you up. I will add the Gentiles in, become a new people of God. And Matthew 24, 14, you'll take the gospel to every single people group. It's, it's happening amongst the you people. Started back at Pentecost. God fulfills his promises. Now, what does that mean for us? Here's the application. The reason you can arise from discouragement and, and shine with joy in God is because God will fulfill every promise he's made in his word to you. If you're trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and treasure, he will fulfill every promise. The reason you're discouraged is because it looks like he won't. Right? Your circumstances look like it's not going to happen. Right? It's like nothing's going to change. But he will fulfill his promises. Matthew 6.33, seek first his kingdom. He'll provide everything you need financially. James 1.5, as you ask him, he will give you the wisdom that you need for that difficult decision that you're fearful of making a wrong decision about. You can trust him for that. Romans 8.28, he will work everything for good. You're going to be conformed into the image of Christ and Jesus is going to be magnified through your life and his magnification is your joy. So everything that's happening, every trial God ordains in your life is crafted by him to bring you even more joy in him. So great good is coming through that trial. He'll strengthen you, Philippians 4, 13. The, the list just goes on and on. So in your circumstances, you're discouraged because it looks like nothing's going to change, nothing's going to happen, God's not at work, he will fulfill his promises. Psalm 50, 15, one of my favorite ones, you know, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will rescue you. And you will then honor me. Every time. So you're in a day of trouble now. Isaiah would want to say, just as faithfully as God fulfilled his promise to Israel to work through them into the nations, 
So he will fulfill Psalm 50, 15 to you. If you're in a day of trouble, I promise you, if you're trusting Jesus Christ, God says, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will rescue you. He will. He will. Oh, I've seen that in my life. Many people here could testify to how they've seen that in their lives. God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. Okay, that's the second promise. He will fulfill his promise to Israel and he'll fulfill his promises to us. Now, the third one is a little bit cryptic in this passage, okay? Uh, I think what's going on here is God is saying to Israel, every loss will be overwhelmingly restored to you in God himself. I think that's the point of verses 4 through 14. Now, here's, here's what this would have meant to Israel. Again, let me kind of give you some context. So if you were an Israelite alive in Babylon, in exile, in slavery, you would have suffered terrible losses. Sons, either killed or, or taken captive in other countries, Assyria, daughters, flocks, houses, gold. I mean, you, your life is just marked by loss if you're in the exile in Babylon. So look at what Isaiah says in verses 4 through 6. We'll just focus on those verses. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you, the nations. Your sons shall come from afar. And your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. That is, all the commerce on the shipping lanes is going to be coming to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba, shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. So Israel had lost sons and daughters and wealth and gold and camels and flocks. But in the future, the nations, here's this picture. The nations are coming to Israel. They're coming to the gospel. They're coming, Israel, new Israel, Jews and Gentiles are coming because they've heard the gospel. They see God's glory in Israel. They're coming and they're bringing wealth and gold and sons and daughters. And I think that's a picture. It's a figurative picture that God is saying to Israel, and he would say to you, every loss will be overwhelmingly restored. And now through verses 4 through 14, there's a theme though that also runs through this, that there's a specific point of this restoration. It's not that in heaven, I'm going to have a big house and like lots of gold coins and lots of camels. Okay. Um, Look at the point like in verse 13. There's a couple different places, but look at verse 13, which is one real clear one. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you. So he's describing all these things that are coming to God's people. And the glory of Lebanon is referring to, Lebanon was known for its wood, beautiful wood. And there's listing then the cypress, the plain, which is a kind of tree that grows in Lebanon, and the pine to beautify the place of my sanctuary. And I will make the place of my feet glorious sanctuary, his temple. So the point of this whole restoration, all this coming, is the completion of God's people, sons and daughters being brought in, and God's sanctuary, 
being beautified and glorified. So here's what I think this means. God is saying to Israel, every loss you've experienced will be overwhelmingly restored to you in your joy in God himself. That's the point that Isaiah is making here. Not as greater cattle or gold in heaven, but as even greater joy in God. Every loss that you've incurred in the path of obedience to Christ is going to be overwhelmingly increased to you. Any scriptures from the New Testament that would reiterate that same truth? Anybody think of one? How about 2 Corinthians chapter 4? You've heard us quote this a number of times. Momentary light affliction, that's loss, is what? Working for you, producing for you, an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Every loss you experience now for the sake of Christ and in in the path of obedience to Christ, every loss now is producing something for you. There's production going on. So every loss is not left with loss. Every loss is producing some gain. Right? The eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. This is being talked about here. So listen. Discouragement so often is because there's been loss. Right? You've lost. Israel had lost just about everything. Right? In Babylon. And God says, listen. Abundance is going to be coming to you. I think this is a picture of heaven. You'll see why in the next promise. God's people will be completely restored, completed, not one missing. And all the losses that you've experienced will be abundantly filled up and abundantly restored to you in God himself, in your increased joy in God. So Israel and Mercy Hill Church, arise from your discouragement and shine with joy in in God because that's what's coming. Now that goes to the last promise as well. Forever you will enjoy God as your light and glory. That's the point of verses 15 through 22. And just focus on verses 19 through 22. We'll just dig into these four right here. The sun shall be no more your light by day. Oh my goodness, no light. No, hang on, keep reading. Nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light. I'm going to underline that. The Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. Now, the Apostle John quotes this verse in this section in Revelation 21 as a description of heaven. Okay? Verse 20. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, For the Lord will be your everlasting light. Same phrase again. And your days of mourning shall be ended. Because God's your everlasting light. Mourning, sighing, sorrow shall flee when the light of God's glory is fully seen. Your people shall all be righteous. Maybe that's an illusion. A-L-L-U-S-O-N. He's referring to how you will at that point be completely freed from sin. See, right now what keeps me from seeing the glory of God is my own pride, right? 
my own sin, my own unbelief. It's like I'm wearing shades, sunglasses, but all that will be removed as clearly as you can see the sun. We'll all be righteous. You'll have 2020 vision, seeing God's glory. It's not quite 2020 now, not close. Your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land. I think it's a reference to the new heavens and new earth. They shall possess the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. The least one shall become a clan. And the smallest one, a mighty nation. I just think that's a picture that everything is going to be quantum leaps better. Okay, sometimes people get the idea that heaven, you know, it's like ghost-like figures flitting around, sitting, you know, pudgy cherubs sitting on harps, playing that kind of stuff. Not at all. Couldn't be further from the truth. Heaven is going to be so much more real than life here. It'll make like life here look like whims, you know, flimsy Casper-like figures running around. You'll be more real, more physical, more awesome, more spiritual, all so that you have the capacity of seeing and enjoying and rejoicing in God and beholding him forever and ever and ever. Everything will be quantum leaps better. Last part of 22. I am the Lord. That is, who can promise this? I am the Lord. I can promise this, God says, Yahweh, in its time, I will hasten it. That is, nothing is going to stop God from doing this. When it's time, it'll happen. Why hasn't it happened yet? It's not time. Okay? When it's time, will it happen? It'll happen. In its time, I will hasten this. Okay. So, so the promise here is that forever you'll enjoy God as your light and glory. Now, one of the most crucial truths you can understand about yourself, and we just keep trying to help, help us get this here at Mercy Hill, is that your highest joy is found. God has made you to experience your highest, greatest joy in beholding God's glory in the person of Jesus Christ. That's your infinitely greatest pleasure and joy. If you've been born again, if you've trusted Jesus Christ, you've tasted. You've tasted. It's better than the joys of food, sex, achievement. Those are all wonderful gifts from God. Thank you, Lord, for all of them. But the highest joy and pleasure you can have as a human being is beholding God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the highest. And because you're trusting Jesus, you've had some tastes of that, right? It's not constant by any means, sure isn't for me, but you've had tastes, down, down payments. And Paul says those tastes is like seeing through a mirror dimly, but he says in heaven we're going to see face to face. And that's the promise that he's giving to Israel here. Forever, Israel, you will enjoy God as your light and glory. Okay, so here's Israel in discouragement. Hopeless. Downcast. She's in exile in Babylon. So isn't this just like pie in the sky, by and by. I mean, really? Think about it. She's in darkness now, but in the new heavens and the new earth, which will certainly take place, and she, because she's trusting God, she will be there. In the new heavens and the new earth, the light of God's glory will be everlasting and ever-increasing. And so, if she could lift her eyes from her present circumstances, not, not being in denial, but just lifting to see her certain and, and sure destiny of enjoying God as her light and her glory, 
that will change everything for her. Because when you're discouraged, you're focused just on your difficult circumstances. But if she can lift her eyes up and see what is her certain and sure destiny, that'll change everything. And it, it will enable her, and it did enable her, to rise up from her discouragement and to shine with joy in God. And, and so the same is true for you, New Testament believer. So if you're trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior and treasure, then as certainly as you're sitting in that chair right now, it's like a hundred years from now, this is, this is absolutely the truth, a hundred years from now, you will be, just like he says here, enjoying God as your light and glory in an ever-increasing way forever. So as sure as you're sitting in that seat right now, this, this is your destiny. This is there. We're going to see each other and say, here we are, right? It's real. It's tangible. It's absolutely certain. In its time, I will hasten it. And as you set your heart upon the glories of the new heaven and new earth, the glories of God in the new heavens and the new earth, discouragement will lift and hopelessness will fade away and joy and hope will return. And let me tell you this story about 12-year-old Victor Waters. Okay, he was diagnosed with cancer at around 12, if I get the story right. Uh, in, in, in op, I mean, uh, in incurable cancer, terminal cancer, as a 12-year-old, and that would have been devastating. Okay, but through an amazing set of circumstances, he was in, in the hospital, brought into contact with a family, a godly Christian family, who adopted him into their family and uh, shared the gospel with him. And so, through this time of cancer. Victor arose from discouragement and shone with joy in God. And here's this picture. Okay, so here's, he's in the hospital bed. He's got an oxygen mask on. See the Bible on his lap? Okay, here's, here's the picture of Victor's future. It's on his lap, okay? And see his hand up here? Okay, the reason this is on the video is because he's, he's proclaiming and he's praying and he's speaking. So here he is. And listen to what he said. This is a quote from him. He says, I believe... God gave me cancer for a reason. And that reason was to become a Christian so that I can be with him forever. Now listen, so easy for a phrase like that just to like, just like flow right off your back like a water off a duck's back, right? It's like, because you hear that so often, but, but get this. The reason was to become a Christian so that I can be with him forever. How many times have we said that just like a cliche and it didn't really mean anything to us? He's feeling this. He's dying. And he's, by the work of the Holy Spirit in his heart, oh, if this is just a down payment, if this is just seeing through a mirror dimly, what an amazing thing Lord Jesus is going to be to stand before you face to face and see you. So he can say, I believe God gave me cancer for a reason, and that reason was to become a Christian so that I can be with him forever. And that's his exclamation point, okay? And they keep reading. I truly believe that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die on the cross for all of our sins and to save us from eternal fire. Hell, I'm trusting that God is sovereign over everything, including cancer, 
and that he has a wonderful plan laid ahead for my life. He's talking about eternal life here. So there he is, dying, and God has an amazing plan for my life, and that he will never let Satan take me from his hands. Now there's a danger in giving you a story like this. The danger is that you could think that Victor is the hero, hero of the story. This is pretty cool, but he's not the hero of the story. Or maybe he has a subplot. The hero is Jesus Christ in this story. Because Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for Victor's sins. Jesus Christ brought his power upon Victor when Victor was rebelling against God and saved him and changed his heart and completely forgave him. And Jesus is the one who poured out his spirit upon Victor so Victor could taste your glory, your joy. I love you. And not just have it be cliches that church people say, but the felt reality of his heart. Jesus gave that to him. And Jesus gave him the faith and the grace so he could say, I'm going to be with you forever. I'm going to love you forever. And so as Victor is in the hospital room, as he is dying, he can lift his eyes from his circumstances and know that this is what's coming. Okay? Jesus is the hero of the story. Victor knew that forever he would enjoy God in Christ as his portion, as his inheritance, as his prize, as his reward. And that's what enabled Victor to arise from discouragement and shine with joy in God. Don't think, wow, Victor's got amazing faith. Your faith is only as strong as the object you're trusting in. It's the amazing glory of God that enables Victor to talk this way. See the difference? Victor's got a pretty important part here. Jesus and his glory is the hero in this story. So, here's my call to you. Discouraged brothers and sisters, any of you here this morning. See the future that God has certainly purchased for you, secured for you in Jesus Christ. Because you're trusting him. It's not, you've been really, really good this last week, that's why you can know it's going to happen. No, it's that you're trusting Jesus Christ. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's secured for you if you're trusting Jesus. So see the future that God has for you. How often do you think about the future? 1 Peter 1.13, hope fully in the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ's second coming. That's what you hope fully in. So see the future that God has for you and rise up from your discouragement and shine with the joy of God's glory. Again, you can't turn that on and off like a light switch, but you can set your heart on the promises of God and say, Jesus, I trust you. Help me to see these. Help me to feel these. Meet me. He will. So let's stand together. I want to pray this over us and ask God to work. In fact, some of you, I'd like to invite you to come forward this morning. The the Camden 17, Ian and Maria's home group is going to be up here ready to pray for you. But I'd like to just pray because... It can be helpful to come forward and and just pray and let other people pray for you. Again, if you're discouraged, uh, we love you. And if you're not discouraged, you will be, okay? The time will come, all right? So we're just all family here moving from one point of discouragement to another. That sounds pretty bleak. You know what I'm saying, right? 
It's not like just you know, a few of you are really struggling, kind of a weird thing. Sometimes it happens every once in a while. No, no, I've been discouraged this last week. Probably all of us have. And we want to pray for you if you are in, in the midst of discouragement. We love you. We all struggle with this. But Jesus is here. He's here. And he will come when we pray. He always does. So, Father, I ask that you'd bring your power upon us right now. Lord, we love our brothers and sisters here. And we know that you, more importantly, you love each one of us. And I pray that that you would, right now, as we lay hands on those who are discouraged and pray, that you would come and let each one see the certain reality of your promises even more clearly. And that you would enable them to arise from their discouragement and that you would enable them to to shine with joy in God. So God, I pray that you would do that. Psalm 42, 5 says, Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. So I pray, Lord, that you would Right now, by the outpouring of your spirit through Jesus Christ, as we're trusting your Holy Son, pour out grace and faith to hope in you and your precious promises so that we can fight off discouragement when it comes for the glory of your name. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.